if we just approach investing from the perspective of kind of the lottery mentality, frankly, that I'm going to pick a name and then in six months it's going to go to the moon and I'm going to sell out and feel really great about my bank account. You know, that's wonderful, but can you do it again? Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and in today's episode, we're talking with Alex Mason. Alex is an individual investor and a podcaster uh, whose curiosity about the world really intrigues me personally. I've loved listening to his podcast. I've loved hearing his thoughts on long-term investing and individual stocks. And so when Leo and I had the opportunity to bring him on the show, we jumped on it. So uh, Alex, just first off, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, David and Leo. Thanks for having me. We're so glad that you're here. Um, so I want to point people first and foremost to your blog, stockstoryteller.com, and, and then to the podcast, uh, Stock Stories. So Alex, give us just a little bit of insight into how you started this journey. You've been going through the S&P 500 and doing a breakdown of every individual stock. Each episode of your podcast is a breakdown of an individual stock from the S&P 500. I love the concept. Tell me the, the history of that, how you got started, where the epiphany came from, and what that looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it all started really when I graduated college. That was kind of the impetus for me. And up until that point in my life, at that time, I was really focused on other things other than money, other than investing. I was engaged to be married. I was moving across the country. I was so focused on being an engineer and just pursuing my career. But then I was sitting down the first day at work, I remember doing the orientation and kind of sitting down at my cubicle, like, oh, wow, this is it. Like, you know, no more school and I'm just going to work now. And I was going through all the procedural things. And one of those was setting up my 401k. And I started going through the investment options and trying to kind of understand exactly what I was getting into. And <laughs> frankly, it was just really confusing to me. And so in that moment, I just realized like, wow, I really don't know what I'm doing here. And I should probably educate myself a little bit more, especially since this particular company had stopped contributing to employees' pensions just a few years prior. So I knew for sure that when I was going to retire one day, it was all going to be on me, basically. So that kind of set off this journey of learning. And then gradually I got into learning about individual stocks and individual companies and learning that this thing that we call the stock market, it's really just one big auction system of buyers and sellers for these companies that you and I use every day. And we have these products in our homes. We have these services that we engage with all the time. And sometimes we don't even think about it, but that's what drives the whole economy. And just learning that I could be a part owner in a little bit of that just by buying a stock was just amazing to me. And that that's really what set me off on the journey. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Alex, you, uh, you have a really great website. You have a couple of different things you're doing. One is obviously studying these companies, their individual stocks, uh, which I think is tremendous information, by the way. And I really encourage everyone to check that out. Uh, you can go to stockstoryteller.com 
slash podcast, and you'll see that. But you also have something else that you touch on in your podcast, and that's mental models. Can you tell us about that? What was the idea behind doing that? And you've got a bunch of them. So touch on a couple of them if you want to. Uh, but really, I think that's a really important part of what you're doing and how that could be helpful to others. So share, share about that. Okay, thanks. Yeah, mental models. I guess I'll explain what they are first. Mental models basically are these thought experiments or ideas that can help explain a concept. And the reason that I find them so important is they can really inform rational decision-making. And that's just so important as an investor because it's really emotional sometimes, especially if you see a stock that you just bought, just tanks the next day or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's a very emotional experience when you start talking about money, right? But mental models kind of give you this level playing field. They kind of give you these principles to go by. And where it actually comes from is there's a famous investor named Charlie Munger. And he's not as big of a household name as, frankly, I think he should be, but he is Warren Buffett's right-hand man over at Berkshire Hathaway. And he really popularized this whole idea that in this life, there are maybe a hundred or so really big ideas that if we can grasp those ideas, they'll make us way better thinkers and decision makers. And so I read about that and I was like, I need to learn all of these and try to incorporate them into my life and into my investing practice. So, I mean, we can talk about some examples. Yeah. Well, what I've loved even listening to your podcast, Alex, is how you weave these in to help people realize how their own brain works. Like these are almost like psychology principles, economic principles, these mental models these are things that we all fall into every single day. So Leo and I, when we talk about budgeting and we talk about the four foundational principles for um, living a a purpose-filled life using your finances, we talk about saving before you spend, spending on purpose, you know, increasing margin, investing wisely. But one of the mental models that you've talked about is opportunity cost. And every time that we talk about making a purchase in your budget, We talk about the opportunity cost that you're giving up one opportunity and it's costing you an opportunity to make a purchase. And you have to sit down and think through, I'm going to spend on purpose. If this opportunity costs me another opportunity. So um, just, just rattle off, you know, three to five of the mental models that you've put together and that you've talked about. And honestly, we probably won't dig into it in this episode, but we may have you back to spend more time on a few more of these mental models. So just give us a few of them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, that's probably, if I had to pick one mental model, that's my favorite. Yeah. It's probably opportunity costs because it's just so powerful. So opportunity costs, you know, we spend our money, our time, our resources, our attention, our energy on one thing, but that excludes all of these other things. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Another that I really like is called the endowment effect. Mm-hmm. So when you own something or maybe you don't even own it, but you have something in your possession, you have this sense of ownership or access, you tend to, you tend to believe that it's worth more than it actually is Mm -hmm. just by the nature of you owning it. So this could apply to owning a stock that maybe you've owned it for years and you think, Oh yeah, that's, that's my stock. That's my company. I, I know it's worth double what it is, but in reality, maybe intrinsically it's not worth as much. And then another one would be something, another really popular one is confirmation bias. So just because we are used to seeing certain things or hearing certain things or certain ideas or concepts, 
we tend to want to attract our mind to confirming those opinions with other things in other situations and contexts that it may not actually be fact-based. It may just be because we have had prior experience with that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, yeah, another That's one. That's good. It, it, I could go on, but... Well, so what I'm going to do is point people. So I, I highly recommend everybody listening, go to stocks, uh, stockstoryteller.com and click on the podcast link. And then under that, there's a drop down bar for the mental models that Alex has gone through. Check those out. We may have him back on to walk us through maybe just five to 10 of those in a future episode. Uh, because that endowment effect, it, it's such a big deal when you buy a stock, it's hard to let it go because you own it and it's yours and you've had it for a couple of years. And even though the business model might not be good like it used to be when you originally bought it, you still have a hard time letting go, just like at a garage sale. You see people at a garage sale selling their old stuff. And they want to sell it like for like what it's what it was worth when they bought it. They don't want to sell it for what it's actually worth. <laughs> and so I just I love those. Okay, so the reason that we brought you on today, Alex, uh, we wanted to introduce people to you. We wanted to send people to that that content. We think it's really valuable. Uh, but there are a few things that you learned as a beginning investor. Um, and honestly, even hearing your story of getting your first you know job that has a four hundred one k. The exact same thing happened to me. I sat down, I looked at my 401k at my company. Uh, this was in 2009. And so it was right after the market had kind of bottomed out. And I looked at the, the stocks and was like, why would I ever invest in any of these? Because everything had like a negative return. Everything, everything had a 10-year negative return, a five-year negative return, a one-year negative return. Because it was, it was 2009. I was completely uneducated that that was actually the best time to get into the market. But instead, I was scared off by the numbers because I didn't understand them. And I think I waited another six months to a year before I started putting um, real money. I may have put a little bit into my 401k just as a, as a match and a, and a basic thing. But I was scared off because I didn't understand. So what are some of the basic and common mistakes that people make when they start investing? And what are some of the things that you learned? That's I, I heard you do an episode on this and I thought, I really want to ask Alex. I really want to see what are the common mistakes people make? What are the things that he ran into? Because I can really relate to this. Oh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that story, David. It's something that I think a lot of us face, right? We we want to start investing in something new. We're a little unsure. And maybe we see those past performance metrics, like you said, and it's like, well, why would I want to get into that? But I think that highlights one of the mistakes that a lot of us as new investors we often make is we're looking strictly at past performance to inform a decision about the future. And one thing that Warren Buffett often says, I know he gets, he gets quoted a lot, but one of the great things that he said is that we can't pay for yesterday's growth. And I'd like to kind of flip that on his head and say, like, we can't also punish yesterday's declines either. You know, we have to look at the nature of the asset that we're buying. So I think that's one thing that a lot of investors get caught up on is, you know, the opposite is true. If say you looked at, those 401k options on that day, and you saw 10 year returns of 20, 25, 30%, you might've said, Hey, let's go all in. Right. <laughs> so, and then another mistake that I see a lot of newer investors making, and this is a big one that I made when I first got started is uh, there are a couple stocks I invested in 
that were highly cyclical businesses. And I thought that these were these big blue chip companies. And in some ways they were, but there's a big difference between a company that has a big brand name, something you recognize, something that you're very familiar with their products and services and the actual steadiness of the cash flows of that business. And that's something like a distinction I just didn't make. And uh, so I invested in these companies that were actually in the down part of their business cycle. And guess what the stock price did? It went down as well. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, I'm still paying for some of those mistakes, but that's okay. You know, we learn a lesson. Yeah. But that's another thing I think newer investors should watch out for if they're considering investing in individual stocks. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a couple of different ways to that that we've communicated investing to our audience, and that's you know to to of course you know all the the things that we all hear, right? You know, invest in the market, um, pick some good mutual funds, or go into an index fund, something that's low cost, and do that. You're talking about something completely different, something that both David and I are very interested in, and and it's really something that I want our audience as well to be exposed to. You're talking about some things that are very specific to investing in individual stocks. So how have you personally learned to pick the right stocks and what kind of homework have you done in order to make sure that this is a company you want to buy stock in? So that's part of the question. The other one is, how do you know when you're actually picking the stock, how do you know if it's a good bet long-term or short-term? How do you invest? Do you think about it? Okay, I'm going to buy it for several years. I'm going to buy it for a short period of time. How do you go through that process as you're thinking about those individual stocks? Yeah, there's a lot of really good questions there. So let me think about that. So the first thing I would say is regardless of whether we're investing in individual stocks or index funds, ETFs, whatever the vehicle is, what helps me is not, is not forgetting as an investor, like what we're actually buying. And I try to think about what is the source of these returns? Where's, where's the money actually coming from here? These aren't just ticker symbols on a screen. Every index fund, every mutual fund is composed of little slices of real businesses that sell products and services. And so whether I'm buying individual stocks or buying an index fund, which actually I do both, fundamentally I'm doing the same thing. Mm. And one of the ways that I think about it is really just from the perspective of risk, right? Just like, you know, on the, on your show in the past, I know you've talked a lot about the mindset of a business owner and how do you run a business? Business owners are always thinking about managing their risks. Mm -hmm. And as an investor, I think it's the same thing. Um, it's just a little bit different. So one of the things that I do is just basic diversification. So those stocks that I just mentioned, they were in sectors that are high, were highly cyclical. Well, I started buying stocks in other types of industries, for example, the consumer staples industry. So I'll just throw out an example, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is one of the most well-known businesses on the planet. And for very good reason, 3% of the entire beverage consumed on earth, including tap water, is sold by that company. So you're getting this piece of a company that has incredibly steady cash flows. That's going to be able to counteract in your portfolio, something like say an oil company that you know has profits that go up and then they go down. Mm -hmm. So just practicing some basic diversification can really help out a lot. 
That's great, Alex. So when you're looking at these individual stocks, and I heard you actually talk about Coca-Cola in one of your um, episodes just recently. And so when you when you actually go and do an individual stock overview, and you're preparing for one of your episodes where you do a deep dive into the stock and you research it, what are the top three to five things that you look at for each individual stock? Where do you do your research? What are the top three to five things you're looking for? Uh, how do you prepare for those individual episodes? Yeah, so it's definitely still evolving. There's, there's a lot that I still don't know about how I, to research, but I just do the best that I can. And that's just reading everything. So everything from the Wikipedia page of the company to the company's website is often a great source of information. Um, but one of the main sources of how I do my research is the 10K. So that's an annual filing with the Security and Exchange Commission that every public company has to file on a yearly basis. And they just lay it all out there. So everything is laid out from the financials to there's description, just a basic description of the business. Like, what do these people do? And sometimes it can get overwhelming. I remember the first time I opened up an annual report and like started reading through it. It was a little bit overwhelming, but if you just go through it little by little and just try to digest, you'll find that you learn so much, even just sitting down with an annual report and reading it for half an hour, you'll learn so much about the business. So that's a really big part of what I do. Um, another part that I think is critical, especially for a lot of the companies that I talk about, which are some more mature businesses is valuation. So like, Price is what you pay and value is what you get. So a lot of times I'll look at a stock, I'll look at a company and say, wow, this is a really great company. They're doing some awesome things there. And then I'll check the stock price and I'll see like, oh, wow, this, this is super highly valued. And one thing that may help listeners who are looking at this is the basic metric of the price to earnings ratio. So take the share price of the stock and then divide it by the earnings per share or the profit per share. And that'll give you just a very basic sense of the relative cheapness, let's say, or expensiveness of the stock. And there's like so much more nuance related to that, but at a very fundamental level, that's one of the first things that I look at is, how is this being valued by the market? Is this like being valued really highly because they expect a lot of growth? Or is it being valued more cheaply because the expectations are lower? And then basically combining that basic sense of valuation with what I've learned already from studying the actual business and how it's performing, that really informs my decision. Okay, do I want to take it to the next step of analysis and start thinking about the risks and things like that? That's awesome, Alex. I, I love listening as you go through you know, each individual stock. Tell me how many companies you're up to now. I know it's like in the 80s or 90s, I think. How many individual companies have you gone through in your podcast stock stories? Yeah, it's definitely well over 100 now. Over 100? Oh my goodness. Over 100. Okay. Yep, yeah, I need, yep. I need to update the website page. But, yep. um, and I've started looking at companies outside of the United States too. I just did yeah. a few few episodes of some European companies because some of some of my listeners are in in Europe and they say, hey, like, why don't you talk about such and such companies? So that's been kind of getting me outside of my comfort zone too, to cool. try to learn how to look at look at different businesses overseas because there are some some differences. 
So, okay, you're doing all this research on all these individual stocks. Obviously, you listen to um, some of the top leaders in the investing space. You know, you're reading books just like we read books. Uh, you understand and, and get the basics of modern portfolio theory and thinking through. It's, it's you know, almost impossible to beat the market. So every, a, lot of, a lot of the big investors recommend index funds. So I'm intrigued because I'm sure you're getting all this data that tells you, hey, don't don't try to beat the market. But then you're also doing research and investing and doing a lot of individual stocks uh, in your spare time for fun. What's the balance of your personal portfolio? And you'll have to go into exact detail. But but are you are you like, man, I'm going to put. Um, yeah, 90% of my funds into a basic investment strategy and I'm going to play with 10% or are you playing with 50%? And I'm saying playing, you know, individual stocks, you're investing, you're buying companies you believe in, you're buying value. But how do you kind of break down so that you know you are diversified and that you know that um, you're not taking on too much risk, but you're getting to have some fun researching, investing and digging into personal individual stocks? Yeah, great question. So this is something that my wife and I talked a lot about when we started investing, because this was a concern. Like, what do we what do we do here? How do we approach this? And what we settled on was that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing approach, especially if you're just getting into it. So in the beginning, we started investing almost 10 years ago now, I think. And it was exclusively index funds because we figured, okay, we know this is diversified. It's low cost. The data backs this up this is going to be fine. And in the past, I would say five years or so, when I started getting more interested in individual companies, the balance has shifted a little bit. So that piece of the pie that is dedicated toward individual stocks has grown. And I do expect that to grow over time. And, and I like that approach because it, that ratio in the portfolio scales with knowledge and understanding, right? It's just like any other skill set. As you get more comfortable with that skill set, you're and you get better at it, you're more comfortable allocating more resources to it. So that's that's kind of how I see it. And over time I do expect to almost exclusively focus on individual stocks um, and other assets, of course, as I learn about them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think as you're doing the research, obviously you feel comfortable and you're removing that risk that most people will be like, I don't know if I want to invest in that. And something I heard you say in one of your podcasts is that when somebody is is buying a stock simply because there's talk about it or they recognize the name and the stock is in the in the news or the company's in the news and they buy it simply because of their thinking, okay, I'm going to get on this gravy train because it's going somewhere and everybody's jumping on. And that's not what I'm hearing you do. Uh, talk about that because so many people, when they hear, I think all of us have a desire to kind of take control of our investing and not just put the money in the market and hope that it does the right thing. Uh, and yeah, we all know the, you know, the ratio and we should put it in index funds and, you know, overall we're going to do okay. But what if I approach the the time of my life when I'm I won't say retirement, but maybe I want to slow down and maybe stop working full time. And the market's down and it's down for several years. And now I'm not able to to take that. And I think all of us have that fear of we're doing all the right things that we think we know how to do, but the market's going to do what the market's going to do. And by 
investing in individual stocks by learning what these companies are, understanding their value, then you're able to say, well, I'm going to take more of this individual risk and individual choice and make it my own rather than just putting the money in a general mutual fund or stock market index fund. Um, and, I, and I like that. I, that's, that's the same desire that I have is to understand that better. But how do you warn those people that are not willing to do the work that you're doing? Uh, how can they gain some of that information? How would you guide them to move in that direction and not take those risks and, and make those mistakes of jumping in and buying a stuff just because it's in the news? Mm, yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. One thing that I think about is there's, uh, there was a man, his name was Benjamin Graham. And he's considered by many the father of investing, certainly the father of value investing, which is the style of investing that I'm learning about. And one thing that he said was that investing is best when it's most businesslike. And I really like that quote because kind of back to what we talked about earlier in our conversation, that marriage between entrepreneur, the, the entrepreneur mindset and the investor mindset are really heavily linked. And so that's what I think about when you ask your question, because I've had friends of mine, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, Hey, I just invested in, I'll use a recent example. A friend texted me the other day, you know, he bought GameStop. Oh, wow. Know, right, right. As it was going up, as it he, was going up, <laughs> he got, he got off the train and he made some money and he was really happy about that's it. That's cool. And that's, that's awesome. I think that there are people who, you know, trading is kind of a whole different subject maybe we yeah, can get into yeah. another time <laughs> but i think that that in particular that's not really investing that's kind of a whole different thing yeah but if we focus on having the mindset of the owner if if i was to buy this company outright let's imagine i had a billion dollars and i was gonna if i truly wanted to buy a profitable business what kind of terms would i expect on my investment and so just having that mindset i think helps a lot if we just approach investing from the perspective of kind of the lottery mentality, frankly, that I'm going to pick a name and then in six months it's going to go to the moon and I'm going to sell out and feel really great about my bank account. You know, that's wonderful, but can you do it again? And are you really building wealth for generations? I think there are many, many ways that are valid to build wealth, but simply looking at a name, and saying that you love a product or service, I think is a huge mistake. And I would advise against anyone doing that. So basically what I'm trying to say is, if you're a new investor and you wanna get into the market, by all means, explore index funds, explore a lot of those investment vehicles that are just really easy, low cost to get into and just start putting money away for your future. But if you do have an interest in learning about individual businesses, I definitely encourage that as well. And sometimes I'll invest just a very small amount of money into a new idea or a new mm -hmm. stock just to see what happens because experimentation is part of the learning process too. And so I think that that's important as well, but we have to balance this experimentation from things that we're trying out versus I'm just going to go all in on something because it sounds cool. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the perspective that I have. That's cool. I love this value investing, uh, you know, focus and the idea that you're buying a business and that you're thinking long term and you're thinking through the business financials, not just, uh, uh, you know, the Wall Street 
bets. You're not just betting on something. You're not just throwing money at something you hope works. You've done the research. You're not trying to um, jump on the bandwagon at just the right time and jump off at just the right time. You're intentionally doing the research. And and I love that it's it's been a shift from, hey, we're going to go with a lot of, I would call it ballast, but a lot of safety in these you know index funds early on to slowly learning and growing and stepping into more value-based investing in specific stocks. I'm interested, a uh, two-part question here, and we'll wrap it up, I think. But uh, first, you know, I think about my own journey with my wife. Index investing, the S&P 500, I'm a huge fan. Um, doing simple things like that at a low cost. It's really easy to get on the same page in unity with my wife, Ashley, on that because we both understand it. We both understand the cost. We understand the risk. Um, It's been easy for us to say we're going to put a certain portion of our income every month into index funds and mutual funds. And whether that's through an EFT or direct, you know, whatever brokerage we choose. But but now you're talking about some individual stocks. I'm interested about how you and your wife come into unity around that decision because you know with the index fund oh yeah we understand it we get it it's a, not a one-time conversation it's ongoing but every time you find a new stock that you're sold on how do you and her communicate to come into unity around yeah we're going to invest our money into this or do you have a little personal slush fund that's broken up in your budget how do you guys do this with your unity and personal finances <laughs> wow great great question because that is something that we talked about a lot over the years and I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier of a conversation now than it was five, six, seven years ago because <laughs> we were both just at, we were just at different places experience wise and skill wise. And so yeah. in many, in many respects, we just didn't know what we were doing. So I remember coming to my wife one day and saying, Hey, I think, and it was the first stock I ever really bought. Coca-Cola looks really cheap right now. Like let's, let's, you know, put a thousand dollars into it. But we were at a place in our personal finance journey where that was probably not the optimal decision, frankly. <laughs> but I was just so excited to invest. Yeah. I just wanted to buy shares of a company. And that was a hard sell. But now we're at a place where we have done a lot of things with our personal finances that allow us to be in a position where, okay, we can take some money and invest over here, invest over there. Yeah. So more specifically, we still do invest in index funds with a certain portion of our portfolio. And that's just like you do. It's dollar cost averaging every yeah. month, every couple of weeks, what, what have you. But then there's another pile of money that we're intelligently directing, intentionally rather, directing yeah. into these specific opportunities. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. Yeah. But if it does, there could be significant upside. If, and the whole reason back to like kind of why I'm doing this, obviously I'm curious about individual companies and stocks, but at the end of the day, I want my family's overall portfolio to exceed the rate of the market's return. I and if, if I can just get two or 3% compounded annually, that may not seem like much, but if you look over a 40 or 50 year period, you're mm-hmm. talking about literally double or triple your terminal net worth. Yeah. And that is life changing. So that's really the reason why I've pursued this path is I can have greater financial health for my family. And we can also do giving at a bigger scale in the future once we get to that phase. I love what you're saying, Alex, because what you just said uh, just so resonates with 
our message here at Getting Money Right, because we talk about spending on purpose, creating some margin, and then investing. And what you have just shared obviously communicates that because you said a portion of our income goes to these index funds and it's, you know, it's called, it's, it's coming out every two weeks or as soon as you get paid. But then there's this other bunch of money you said, or, or group of money. And so there is extra money. You're not taking your rent money and playing with it. Um, you have obviously managed your personal finances in such a way to allow you to do this. And therefore you're removing the risk. You know, it's a, it's a risky thing to say, I have $500 in the bank. That's all I've got left. I'm going to put it on the stock, GameStop, and hopefully I can catch the ride on the way up and then cash out and maybe I can double or triple or quadruple my money or whatever. And that's very risky uh, because, one, you're playing with money that cannot be lost. You've got bills to pay and rent due. Uh, you're not doing that. And this is something that I really want us to kind of close with because investing is an important thing. We talked about building wealth, changing your – not just your life, but change, potentially changing it for generations to come. So it's a worthwhile endeavor to learn, to grow, to study and understand this so that you can take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. But then that knowledge can help you remove risk. But you have to start with having a good plan in place, having money that you can't afford to put in. And if, if it doesn't work out with all the study and all the planning you do, and it doesn't work out, at least you don't lose your, you know, your strategy for having you know, that security in place. You're not using all of your funds or whatever's left over to do it with. And that's really important. That's something we want to stress here. And I know that's something that obviously Alex lives. We want to encourage you to live in such a way that you are freeing up more and more cash so that you can put that toward these purposes. Uh, but make sure that you start with a solid foundation, a good budget, and then have, as David said and Alex communicated, have unity with your spouse. Start there and then begin to grow in your investing. I hope that this episode has been helpful for you. It's been very educational for me. I appreciate your perspective and how you come uh, to these decisions, Alex, and the, just the thoroughness uh, with which you look at companies and the, uh, the, the models that you use in order to help uh, you understand investing better. And then you're just sharing with everybody else. I love that. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I really love the conversation. And it's just a topic that I think is just great to talk about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and sorely needed. Uh, financial education literacy uh, is very, very important, and it's something that we hope to to add some value to, and, and hopefully we can share some of that knowledge that we've gained and some of the mistakes we've made to help people along. So, um, again, thanks for being here, David. Any last words? Yeah, well, I would just encourage everyone to go to their podcast app and uh, download two or three episodes of Stock Stories. So, type into the search bar "Stock Stories." Uh, Alex Mason is with us today. And uh, I what I do when I find any podcast I like is I scroll through the top, you know, 50, and I pick three or four that I'm really interested in. And so pick three or four, jump on his episode about, you know, Keurig Dr. Pepper, jump on his episode about Salesforce, go through and listen to the eight common mistakes that investors make. Check out a few uh, episodes of Stock Stories, then jump over and check out his blog and his website, stockstoryteller.com and spend some time with Alex. You'll learn something, you'll have fun. Uh, we believe that it's really valuable for all of our listeners to extend their knowledge in the personal finance space. And Leo and I love investing and we love brainstorming with guys like Alex who, who dig in and spend the time and the energy to do the right kind of work. So Alex, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode. We look forward to having you join us next week so that together, 
we can keep getting money right. But at the end of the day, I want my family's overall portfolio to exceed the rate of the market's return. Oh, and if, okay. if I can just get two or 3% compounded annually, that may not seem like much, but if you look over a 40 or 50 year period, mm -hmm. you're talking about literally double or triple your terminal net worth. Yeah. And that is life changing. Yeah.